0: Welcome to Frontline of the Future, the podcast exclusively designed to focus on our frontline workforces, the contributions they make to society and what the future of work has in store for the 80% of the global working population who don't sit behind a desk. My name is Peter Durkin. Throughout this series, we'll be meeting a number of frontline leaders. We'll be exploring their journeys and we'll be hearing their views on what we can expect from the frontline of the future. My guest today spent a quite awesome three decades at Asda. From the shop floor to the boardroom, he lived through the Walmart acquisition and famously became an expert in buying whiskey and importing TVs from China. He's a family man with three children. He describes himself as a listener, which may be tricky on a podcast, and he is now COO of one of the most innovative retail companies in the UK. And Rob Slasky, welcome to the show. Thank you very much pleasure to be here that was a great intro I was
1: quite excited
0: <laughs> how are you sir i'm very well thank you peter very well how are you doing yeah i'm, I'm tip top all the better for being with you um and where are you today
1: i'm actually in at hq i'm one of the very few people in the office these days we've all figured out how to work from home but uh, every now and then i have to get away and get back down to that office just to feel well just to experience the different four walls i suppose so listen, let's talk about you for a second then,
0: because you've had, by all accounts, an incredibly impressive and loyal career. So talk us through your journey then, Rob. I mean, what what choices would people have had to make to get to where you are today?
1: Loyalty, you know, I think it's about being engaged and being interested and having opportunity. I think the one thing that I would say, you know, Aston never stopped putting opportunity in front of me, in front of my colleagues, big retail businesses that there's so many different facets to them that once you're into retail if you're you know engaged and interested and energetic you can keep reinventing into different parts of the business so it wasn't really a question of I wasn't consciously being loyal I think I was just continuously engaged and interested in in what was happening and really enjoying my job you look back on it and I think the measure of, of a good job is is whether you get up in the morning and think, yeah, I'm looking forward to going to work.
0: I guess it goes back to that kind of philosophical question of, you know, is there such a thing as a selfless good act? And from what <laughs> you're describing there, you know, loyalty from the outside is a Inherently impressive and honourable and admirable trait, often displayed by tenure somewhere. I'm interested in what you're saying there, that you weren't consciously being loyal. Asda was considering continuing to serve up opportunities for you, and and that was something that created loyalty.
1: I started at a time when um, pretty much the boom years for multiple retailers, late 80s, I joined Asda, and, and the business was absolutely flying. I doubt I'd have been loyal if I'd have never had an opportunity for a pay rise or a bonus or or anything else. Of course, you know, it's incumbent on all of us to do the best we can for our own career and our families and everything else and earn as much as you can. The best bit about it was the fact that there was always new things to learn. The opportunity in front of me to be a booze buyer, a whiskey buyer, as you say, when I didn't really know anything about it or... But those opportunities arose because you'd proven yourself in other things and you'd proven yourself to be engaged and interested and, and capable enough of, of learning new skills. Yeah, that, that's where loyalty, in my view, comes from. It's just that constant opportunity to grow and to develop and to enjoy what you're doing. Did you have
0: someone guiding you through those opportunities? Have you ever had a mentor over
1: the course of your career? Whether or not they would mean anything to any of your listeners, I don't know. But, you know, one of the things about Astra in those early days was that many of the current captains of industry and retail all came through the ASDA school. I had the privilege to work with some brilliant people. On occasions, I was mentored by one or two of them. That whole mentoring process, if you get it right, it's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? I also think most of the time, we were just too busy to be mentoring. Probably the last 10, 15 years of my time at ASDA, it became a bigger thing. But in the early days, we were just flat out busy. You know, We kept the organization quite lean. So you had a lot of responsibility. You were learning very quickly, You'd get feedback immediately. I think that's the best way to develop. The best way is to learn on the job. If you're in an organization that makes you fearful of making mistakes, you're just never going to move forward, are you? And I think in those days, we were very good at uh, allowing people to have room to experiment and explore what they could do. and And give them encouragement.
0: There are many ways to learn. And sometimes just getting on with the job, as you say, is one of the Mm. best ways. Mentorship can, I guess, often be a luxury of time more than anything else. I guess if we think about, you know, the first half of this year, then how would you characterize really the impact that COVID-19
1: has had on the business? Staying close to your colleagues, engaging with them, motivating them. That's what this is all about. When something like COVID happens, you can imagine that it's almost sort of catastrophic for those colleagues. Suddenly, they're bombarded with the kind of headlines that our our media like to to put out. You don't quite know what's right, what's wrong, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. You you know, you feel perhaps a little bit of separation from the company you work for. First and foremost, the front line was where, where it impacted, and that was where... All of our focus was making sure we were able to look after our colleagues, but also keep working. The reality of what was happening was that you know people were struggling to be able to buy products in supermarkets. Food was getting scarce. And we had a, a labor force, not a huge one by comparison to the retailers, but we had a group of motivated colleagues on the front line who actually wanted to play a part in that. Very early on, we were called into action by the retailers. We just made ourselves available and helped with that effort.
0: Did your client base sort of change in the first half of the year then, Rob? Were you sort of supporting more essential retailers, you know, the grocers and so on, who are feeding the nation to cope with that demand, more so than the the non-essential retailers, like Sports Direct, maybe?
1: (laughs) What we were doing with the retailers, and I have to say, I still have a place in my heart for Azure, obviously, but they were brilliant, as were Morrisons, as were the others. They were absolutely brilliant. The first thing they did was put an arm around a lot of their suppliers and said, you know, this is going to be tough, but we're going to look after each other. Small, medium enterprises we are, to have that kind of support from your retail partners, that was just a godsend. It meant, meant we could move forward without worrying too much. We were able to keep the machine going. For us, it was great to be able to very quickly join forces with them and say, well, great, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to fill up? It was just a really sort of surreal, but also quite proud moment for us. Yeah, I think it changed a lot of things for us, how we felt about about the world and how we want to move forward. That is super
0: interesting, you you talking there about changing the way it made you think about how you want to be moving forward. And you know something which is... Um, been a, a common denominator, should we say, on the series so far is, is the concept of silver linings. So I'd be interested and curious to learn from you, Rob, you know, what have you learned personally and as a business over the first half of this year? that you folks want to take forward, you know, through and beyond
1: 2020? I think probably the most interesting thing is that the capability that you have in a crisis, you suddenly see your colleagues who suddenly, you know, want to stand up and be counted, want to help with the effort, want to take on more responsibility and act faster than they've ever acted before. And I think you realise sometimes as a a leadership team, you know, unleashing the, the talent you have, in your organization. Do that faster. That's what business should be about. You know, that requires, I guess, the exec group to challenge themselves more and to think more about um, leading in a different way. And and you'll have heard all the stories about this. Of course, I think, again, every business that survived through COVID suddenly realized that half of the meetings they had, honestly, were probably executive ego or management ego. Why do you have a meeting? You have a meeting so that you can listen to people talking to you and informing you if you trust those people to do their work anyway let them get on with it support them so one of the things we did was we just we just wiped out so many meetings and actually ran the business in a completely different way people again around d that I, I have to take my hat off to were, were sensational through all of that and actually contributed to all the, the sort of thinking and decision making that we had to do on the fly how do you communicate to the front line? What equipment you have to give them? How do you source PPE quickly and get it through the business and out? How do you make sure it's the right kind of PPE? <laughs> I think uh, a year ago, we might have had too many committee meetings. We found a faster way of working and we love it absolutely
0: no i mean conceptually it makes complete sense rob you know what's this period giving you what well, is given you insights necessarily yeah. that you would never have had before yeah. well, practically how does that play out well mm-hmm. people whether it's the 200 folk in the head office or on the mm-hmm. front line which by the way is great to hear because mm-hmm. some industries have seen a bit of a division between head office and mm-hmm. front line not so at dc which is fantastic mm-hmm. i guess this brings us to the point where we do like to look ahead to the front line of the future if you like And and the point of acceleration is, I mean, it's fascinating, no more so than in in retail. I mean, there are so many retail trends which have been accelerated because of coronavirus. I read this uh, stupid post on LinkedIn the other day saying, who's been responsible for the digital transformation of your company, your CIO, your CTO, or COVID-19? Certainly from a retail point of view, you know, folks have been forced into digital maturity almost Mm -hmm. overnight, if you like. The move to online being the most basic. Pre-COVID, I think the penetration of all online grocery sales from all the major players, Ocado, Tesco, and everyone who who delivered, only accounted for 7% of grocery sales. And you can absolutely see that online subscription-based shopping and the, the value behind the delivery slot being more important than ever, you know, as memories of that that food scarcity you were talking about earlier and the empty shelves in the supermarkets stay in people's minds. But what does that mean for frontline workforces in retail? You know, that we'll see some sort of seismic
1: shift to more dark stores to support that online shopping? All of the major multiples have been, have been kind of wrestling with for, for years. How do you fulfill that online demand? And I guess the thing you've got to kind of realise as well, you know, by shifting from in store purchase to online purchase, you've effectively, as a retailer, you've effectively moved an hour of the customer's time for free in doing the shopping to your colleagues' time, which you need to pay for. So actually for the retailers, it is quite challenging the move to that like, switching to online because I don't think it I don't think it's quite as profitable necessarily as, as you automatically assume it is. Potentially, the future of it is more dark stores. But again, for most retailers, it's very efficient to do it from their existing shops, which are effectively food warehouses anyway. Frontline merchandising will always be relevant. It's going to be relevant for years to come. The idea that it'll all move to sort of a, a robot solution, that, for me, that's going to be years, decades in the future, if ever. We're always going to have people working on the front line of retailing. But what we're going to be able to do more and more is target those workforces more effectively. And um, that's the, the real sort of secret to it, I think, is deploying your workforce really effectively. I think there's some interesting changes coming. And I, I think the landscape I was trying to paint is one that's challenging for retail. They are going to un, undergo change. You know the big four anyway, and, and, and the majority of food retailers are in this battle with Amazon and online and, and with discounters.
0: You know, arguably, you know, what I'm thinking is that the frontline line of the future perhaps has got to be more fluid and agile with capability to relocate the supply of the workforce, if you like, effectively giving it capacity where it's needed. And ensure workers are still getting paid. Those jobs aren't at risk. Let's be clear based on, on what you're saying. It's just that they are being repurposed into a different environment in a little bit more of a fluid way than they can be today.
1: You talk about moving the workforce. I think we're aligned that that flexibility is what you need to see coming through in retail, but it's how to identify where to move them to. You know, what's important? When is it important? What's the next priority in any given day or hour or minute of the working week? The next big thing is, how do you read all the fixtures all at once so you can identify where the opportunity to move that workforce is to? We've seen things just move Ridiculously quickly around us. And that development, as people have always said to me, is exponential. It's just going to get faster and faster. So we've all got to be at the forefront of that, haven't we? Otherwise, we will be left behind.
0: The other side to it for me is is the people aspect to it and, and almost the perception yeah. of frontline work, um, you know, attraction and retention of talent. Do you think there'll be a lasting change in the way that frontline workers are valued by
1: their businesses and, and indeed by the consumers and the Joe public? I certainly hope so. That's where I started out. For me, that's the kind of be all and end all. I think if you're in, in retail, being engaged in innovation at one end is is very exciting. But being engaged in serving the public at the other... That's what it's all about. Yeah, I think for too long, we've probably taken those colleagues for granted. We've not really ever had the capability to listen to them well enough, to understand them, to know them well enough. And I think that's one of the really exciting things for me that we're seeing more and more of. You know, every time I go out and and I visit a store and I visit a colleague, suddenly I find somebody who's brilliant at something. And if you could tap into all of that, And bring all of that back into your business. How powerful would that be? You know, we've got three and a half thousand colleagues out there that can do amazing things.
0: Reactive supply of static labor Mm. to a more proactive supply of dynamic labor, Mm. if you like, and facilitated uh, by technology platforms and so on. But then almost the, the human side of the equation where, you know, actually we should stop taking frontline workers for granted and, arguably defining them just by the functional role they play within an organisation but actually stepping back and thinking about the wider contribution that they could make not just to society mm. but to the business as a whole mm. i think are very interesting reflections on on what we can hope and expect frontline industries to learn in the future
1: the skills are already out there it's tapping into them and and networking them together in a way that allows us to build something really special yeah that's what we're looking forward to
0: absolutely rob i've really enjoyed your musing some very fresh perspectives yeah. and some top-notch opinions there thank you very much for coming on to the show rob slaskey uh, we wish you all the best and we'll speak to you soon you're
1: very welcome thanks a lot
0: thanks as ever for tuning in folks now next week, we have a special guest all the way from Singapore, as we welcome Mr. Jasper Singh, who was CEO of Comfort Delgro Group for 14 years. Stay tuned for Frontline of the Future's Singaporean special.